When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. This is episode 38 of the podcast. My name is Chris Peters. So glad you could join me for this week's episode as we celebrate one year of the existence of Hockey Sense on Substack and one year, kind of, of this podcast. Uh, Getting close to the one year anniversary of that, but it's 38 episodes in, so it's not really like that big of a deal because I didn't do a podcast every week of the last year. So, Either way, I'm happy. Uh, I hope you're happy as well. It's been a year since I've been on my own, uh, since my time at ESPN concluded against my will, uh, and I decided to go it alone. And over the last year, it's been crazy. There's been a lot of changes, uh, but you know, I think that the the thing that stands out to me as the 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 thing I'll take away from the last year is the support that you all have given me, the listeners of this podcast, the subscribers to Hockey Sense on Substack as well, uh, keeping me afloat, keeping me motivated to continue to do this work and to try to do it at as high a level as possible. And uh, it's not cheap to do it. So the, the people that have subscribed to the website have, have given me an, a, a huge opportunity. Also a huge thanks to to Daily Faceoff, which I now uh, work at as well. Uh, and uh, you can catch much of my draft content there, but there will still be plenty left on the bone for the Hockey Sense subscribers. And I did put up a post that is free to read about the first year of Hockey Sense and also what's to come in year two. And among the things that I plan to do in this second year, in addition to continuing the podcast and continuing to do uh, weekly newsletters, is try to do a few more in-depth projects, things that are deeper dives and and go a little in-depth into very specific topics that, that I think will matter to uh, fans of, of covering the draft, the prospects, college hockey, what have you. Um, but there is, uh, there's a lot to get to. So today's episode, we're going to stick with just me, Q&A. Uh, hope you guys liked last week's episode with Matt Moran, uh, my good friend who, who has full of stories. And um, if you are a 
and an aspiring scout that wants to know how to get in on the ground floor and kind of learn of some of the craziness that happens at the junior hockey level. Uh, that is a good podcast to check out. We covered a whole lot of topics. Um, also, just really uh, appreciative to everybody that followed the Olympic coverage. As you know, last week we kind of recapped the Olympics a little bit. But since then, Finland, congratulations. Gold medalist in the men's tournament. We already knew Canada gold medalist in the women's tournament. Slovakia won their first Olympic medal in men's hockey. Uri Slavkovsky, the MVP, draft-eligible player, 17 years old, still wearing a cage. MVP of the Olympics, seven goals scored, a new all-time record for a U18 player and also a U19 player. So uh, he is in a rarefied company there and certainly has seen his draft stock go up. We'll talk about some of the news and notes from around the league here in a little bit, but once again, just wanted to remind you that if you do want to support this podcast further, the best way to do that, that is the cheapest way to do that, is to leave a rating and a review on wherever you get your podcasts, especially Apple Podcasts. It seems to be the most popular app that people use to get this podcast. So it would be a, a, of great help if you went ahead and clicked those five stars. Uh, just go scroll a little further down past the episode, click those five stars. And if you're so inclined, leave a sentence or two about what you like about the podcast and, and let people know what, what this is all about. Uh, I've gotten lots of great reviews and, and, and great kind words from people and, and you know, just you listening to it and the downloads uh, uh, means a lot to me. So if you could help out that way, that'd be great. Also, continue to support my independent work. We're a year into it now. I am part-time everywhere else. So your assistance helps me continue to get to the events that I need to get to um, that aren't covered by the other outlets that I work for. So, uh, you know, things like the Frozen Four, things like, um, you know, certain certain events, the, the CHL Top Prospects and things like that. Some of that will be coming out of my own pocket. So it does help me if you support Hockey Sense, and that's at hockeysense.substack.com. You can also reach it by chrispetershockey.com, um, and you can subscribe. $54 annually, $6 a month. And you can poke around the website and see if there are a couple of things that, that you, you like about it. And as I mentioned, there will be some new things coming in year two. But we do have a weekly newsletter that covers a whole lot of ground. Um, it's called the Hockey Sense Roundup. And it just gets uh, everything from you know who's a player that's really excelling right now and goes a little bit more in-depth in what's making them successful or what's something happening in the hockey world that I like or don't like or what's something that needs to have a light shined on it. And try to do that with my subscribers make sure that you guys are in the know and that uh, you guys can understand what, what's going on in the world and things that I think are important that I think you should know. So uh, some of it you may agree, some of it you may not. But either way, uh, it's kind of my take on hockey, and I'm so thankful for everybody uh, that's uh, that supported me so far, and uh, especially those of you that are checking out the podcast now. It means a whole lot to me. Uh, I really do mean that. So as I mentioned, today is a Q&A episode, but before I get to that, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that have been happening in the news, the things that you probably have heard about. Um, the IIHF, after the gold medal game um, uh, of the women's hockey tournament, did announce, uh, essentially not really formally yet, but but Luke Tardif, the president of the IIHF, talked a bit about the rescheduling of the World Junior Championship, the World Under, Women's World Under-18 Championship, as well as many of the under uh, the tournaments under those top levels that they are trying to reschedule. It sounds like the women's worlds, uh, women's under 18 worlds will be scheduled uh, for June and it'll take place in the United States. Um, we did mention that before in our, in our last podcast, but I also wanted to talk a little bit more um, about the, the world juniors and the po possibility of rescheduling it then. 
Um, it would it, it it appears that that'll be in August, and I've got to be completely honest about that. It's terrible timing for that tournament. Um, that's when they have the 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 training camps and the the selection camps, and those are highly competitive. The it's one thing to have those; it's quite another to have the actual tournament when you are playing seven games in eleven days. You are disrupting the off season. You're doing a lot of different things that that I don't think are necessarily beneficial for development. Um, it is important to give the players the experience of playing in the tournament, but it's not going to be quite the same. We do have some questions that that address the the world juniors, which I will leave to get there. But just to to right off the hop, having this tournament in August, I know is not what everybody wants. Um, you know, I know that there there were some federations that felt that that wasn't necessarily going to be a good thing overall, and that they maybe should just scrap the whole idea. But the IHF doesn't want to have to lose that money. Hockey Canada doesn't want to have to lose that money. I think it generally they don't want those players to lose that experience. But if you think that those teams are going to look the same as they did in in December, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to be disappointed. Um, those The teams can reselect their rosters. They don't have to take the same players. And, and quite frankly, I don't think all the players that they want to take are going to be available anyway. Um, I did mention on Twitter... You know, players like Matty Beniers and Owen Power and whoever else signs an NHL contract and Cole Perfetti, who's played NHL games since the World Juniors, any of those players, it's going to be really difficult for their teams to agree to for them to go to a, a, a high-risk tournament before their rookie seasons. Um, you know, we figure that Owen Power is going to play for the Sabres next year. We figure that Matty Beniers is going to play for the Seattle Kraken. Um, we figure some of those other players are going to have their opportunities. Mason McTavish with the Ducks, Cole Perfetti with the Jets. How willing are those teams going to be to, to let, allow those players to to go play in that tournament? It's not because they don't want them to get the de- development experience. It's because of the injury concerns. You think about when K- Kirby Doc went to the World Juniors and went in the pre-tournament, and this was before the NHL's delayed season that started in January of last year, and he gets injured in a pre-tournament game. And quite frankly, I don't know that he's ever been the same since then. Um, I don't think he came back very strong last season. And, and certainly um, has not had the greatest of third seasons in the NHL. And it's unfortunate for him, but it's also a risk that I think everybody was kind of willing to take. And I, I personally thought that at the time, you know, the risk is high, but, you know, give him the opportunity to, to get him get his feet wet after having a long layoff. And it, it ends up with an injury to him. So you, you think about the teams that have such important assets and, you know, these are, these players, once they sign their contracts, and really before they sign their contracts, as soon as they're drafted, um, they become among the most important players in the entire organization. That includes current roster players making millions and millions of dollars. These are the guys that are the future that that so much is relied on and so much has been put into and so much is 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 believed to 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 come from that. So Owen Power, Matty Beniers, guys like that. You know, if I'm in the general manager's chair of either of those teams. I'm doing my cost-benefit analysis, and I'm saying, uh, no, the the risk is too high. The risk is too high, and I want them to to prepare. The other thing that that the timing of that tournament, it, it sounds like it would be in mid-August. Um, so after the Holinka Gretzky Cup, and yes, we have we already have you know this is precedented where there's major tournaments played in the summer. The Holinka Gretzky Cup is in August of every year. Those are players playing in their draft year. Those are players that have the whole season ahead of them. They're not they're not making money yet. Um, they're not playing at that, at that high level. They're, the stakes are still very high for them. 
Um, but, you know, it's something that they can come back from, and they're not jumping right into the NHL. They're jumping back into junior hockey, college hockey, what you know, high school hockey, what have you. Um, so that's a little bit of a different situation. I, I just think that if you take away time for training, for, for making sure that these guys are resting and recuperating and getting mentally prepared for what is going to be the most challenging season of their young careers, their rookie season in the NHL, I just don't think that's a recipe for success for those players. And if I'm those players and I'm their advisors and everybody else, I'm, I'm considering saying no. Now, I, I could have said the same thing about the Olympics. I thought that there was going to be less participation in the Olympics, but that's the Olympics. It's a different, it's a whole different animal as we learned from the players. Players basically didn't hesitate. I think it's a little different for the world juniors, especially for guys like, you know, Beniers who has already won a gold medal, um, you know, and, and, you know, Power hasn't played in the World Juniors, but he has a World Championship gold medal. So, the, you know, and, and also with it being in August, it's not going to have the same feel, the tradition, and every, everything else. But we'll just have to wait and see. But that's just my personal opinion. I think it's going to be really difficult for teams to get the same same players. And this is true of, you know, you look at Sweden and, you know, probably not getting William Eklund. And will Sweden be able to get Simon Edvinson? And... You know, so it's going to affect every team because once these players are under contract, the NHL can exert some amount of control and not release them for these opportunities. And I also think it, it behooves the teams to, to check in with the players and say, do you feel like this is something you need to do? Is it something that's really important to you? And if it is, you you know, you kind of let the player take them, take take their their opportunity in their own hands and, and just go with it. But I think it's really difficult to, to think of that. So we've got more questions about the World Juniors that we'll get to um later also some of the other big news logan cooley the uh top prospect in the draft or one of the top two prospects in this year's draft at least as far as i'm concerned uh committed to the university of minnesota there's a there's a cooley question later on in the podcast as well but also you know the fact that he, he was committed to notre dame decided that to change that commitment to minnesota the unique thing is he's from pittsburgh it is incredibly rare for minnesota to have players from east of the Mississippi on their on their roster unless those guys are from Wisconsin you know that that you might get those guys like like a Phil Kessel but to get guys east of the Mississippi in their roster doesn't happen very often Logan Cooley obviously an exception a special player a guy that I think could make a huge impact on the Gophers might be a one and done we don't know I think he's going to go extremely high in the draft I think he's going to be a, a a key prospect for whoever picks him uh, but to have him going to the University of Minnesota, that's a huge boost for Bob Motzko and his staff. It's also a player that's saying, you know, I believe in in what you're doing there and that you will help me get to the next level. Um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see Cooley going to a, a bigger ice surface. Um, he's a speedy player. I've seen him on the big ice before. Um, he can certainly maximize that. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens. But that was certainly big news in the prospect world. Um, and then lastly, you know, the NHL trade deadline is coming up and it sounds like there's going to be a lot more movement this year. And with that comes the opportunity for prospects to move. And I really do think that some of the currency of this trade deadline will in fact be prospects. And you think about some of the players that could potentially move at the deadline. And there are a lot of teams out there that are either without their first round picks this year or, you know, need to, they're going after an asset of a, a particular value. And that's going to require potentially top prospects. It sounds like a lot of teams are looking for that first round draft pick and a top prospect. Um, and, and those can be really important. So as the trade deadline approaches, we do expect there will be some movement 
around the prospect world in terms of where they go. And after that's all over, after all the deals have been made, I will be going back and reassessing each of the farm systems for the teams. You'll be able to see that on daily faceoff. But one of the things I'm also planning to do is to include some shoulder content on hockey sense that will be specific for premium subscribers that goes in and, and looks at the pool and kind of really pieces together um, you know what, what the future of those organizations their young cores including the guys that are currently in the nhl and just trying to see kind of how it all matches up uh to give a more accurate future projection of of some of these teams after the trade deadline because i do think that this trade deadline could have a pretty significant impact on you know the way we view things but now that i've talked your ear off for 15 minutes here i want to move into the q a section i got a ton of great questions you know i was i was begging for them on twitter i was asking people to say hey send these in let me know what you want to know it can be super specific it can be super vague it can be whatever um and just because i you know i want to celebrate one year of independence uh working directly for you the subscribers i want to know what you want to hear about the listeners of this podcast i want to know what you want to hear about as always, you can always hit me up on Twitter for questions. Just say, hey, I've got a question for the podcast at Chris M. Peters on Twitter. You can also hit me up on my email, hockeysensewithcp at gmail.com. That's the best place to reach me. So you we can talk a little bit there as well about you know the questions that you have for this podcast. But I got so many questions, so many wide-ranging ones. We've got prospects. We've got draft. We've got um, college hockey. We've got recruiting. We've got coaching carousels. We've got the world juniors. There's so much here, and I'm going to try to organize these questions as best as I can, but it's going to bounce around a little bit. I'll try and stay on topic. I know I can get a little scatterbrained. That's the way this thing works. It's kind of a free-flowing thing. I try to speak off the cuff and just give you guys exactly what I'm thinking. Um, so maybe maybe this podcast would go a little better with a little bit of extra prep. You can tell me. You, I, I'm a big boy. I can handle uh, the the criticism if uh, if if it's too crazy for you, but uh, with my kind of scatterbrain and the, the way I get going on things, this is just the way that works. So without further ado, let's get to your questions. I am turning my podcast over to you. You ask, I answer. Let's go. All right, our first question comes from Alex. Which prospect changed or developed their game most in recent memory between getting drafted and becoming a full-time NHL player? Well, I'd say one of the most dramatic examples of a year-to-year -year improvement in a player is probably Sebastian Ajo. And Ajo, of course, slipped into to the early second round in 2015, 35th overall. Hurricanes pick him up there. He is one of the best players to come out of that draft. And if you go back to his draft season, he spent time among a couple of different Liga teams and also played uh, in the U20 league for a little bit for Carpat. Also played um, in the under 18 worlds, the U20s, the, the World Juniors. Um, you know, so, you know, didn't necessarily do anything spectacular at any of those things. He had 11 points in 27 Liga games with Carpat two assists in three games with Asat. Um, so, you know, doesn't look that great. And then all of a sudden, the following year, he get, stays, he's with Carpat again, 45 points in 45 games, 14 points in seven games at the World Juniors after having zero the year before. Um, and then also played in the Men's World Championship, seven points in 10 games. And so, 
he goes that very next season, he becomes a full-time NHLer, plays in the World Cup for Finland, plays in the World Championship again, um, and it's off to the races. I, I think that that's probably one of the most dramatic turnarounds for a player that I've personally seen. It's not something that happens very often. You know, that was a, a crazy year um, in the draft overall. I mean, really, that, that 2015, 2016 kind of, uh, those drafts were insane. And so you've got the McDavid draft in 2015, and you're going through the first round, and you look, and then all of a sudden Sebastian Ajo, with 373 career points is one of the, the the biggest scorers from that draft class. You know, basically the fourth leading scorer of the draft class behind only Miko Ranton, Mitch Marner, and Connor McDavid um, going up from him. So, I mean, really one of the most impressive kind of swings that, that you could ask for. So, Sometimes you have to get lucky in drafts and, and, you know, the, the hurricanes actually, I thought that that was a, a very strong draft for them overall. Um, in, in 2015, they, you know, Noah Hannafin was a good player for them, got, you know, got traded and was part of the, the, the Dougie Hamilton trade, which was obviously huge. But, you know, the fact that they end up getting Sebastian Ajo 35th overall, I mean, those are one of those things, those pieces of good fortune where it's a guy who's probably higher on your board and you're just hoping that he's there and then he is, and then it's a franchise-changing pick. Um, and so that's one to me where I just, you know, Aho wasn't, I wasn't doing draft coverage full-time that year. I was covering the NHL for CBS at that time, but I was trying to pay attention. Aho was, was definitely a name that I knew. He's a player that I was familiar with. Um, I went to the, uh, uh, I didn't go to the World Under-18s that year, although he only played in, in one game that year. Um, so that was, that was another thing that was a little bit different for me. I normally would have been at that event. Uh, but wasn't that season due to my duties at CBS. So, uh, but just to watch his growth from the following season and to see here comes Sebastian Ajo, um, that's probably one of the most dramatic improvements over the one year to the next that I've seen. I think in more recent years, you know, there have been others, Nick Robertson having a big season right after his draft year, and certainly he's dealt with some injury issues since he's turned pro. Um, but that's a guy that I, that I have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, respect for in terms of what he's going to be as a player, um, you know, and, and sticking with another Leafs guy, Matthew Nyes. I mean, just look at the season he's having right now compared to having a really strong season in the USHL last year. But you're just like, wow, this guy is really taking a step here. Um, those are the types of players that, you know, you have to keep a keep a closer eye on and and just kind of watch watch where they go and. Um, another guy in, in more recent years, I also think Shakir Mukamadulin is uh, unbelievable um, and uh, was a guy I didn't have a lot of time for in his draft year. Didn't rank him very high, um, didn't have very good viewings of him, but really he has shown that there's there was upside there. And the Devils used a, a high-risk pick, but they had three picks in that first round, and they went and got Mukamadulin, and I think he's going to play NHL games. So um, not, not just a few, but be a good NHL defenseman, so... Those are some of the guys I'd say that that have definitely developed and sometimes more rapidly, um, more rapidly than others. The next question comes from a good pal, John Barr, over at NHL to Seattle, um, and he would uh, he would love to know of the top ten selected in the 2021 NHL entry draft last summer, whose stock has risen or fallen this season? Seems like Beniers has risen a bit, but it could be my natural bias. Interested to hear your take on on others in the top ten. I mean, really, if you look at the top 10 in the draft, pretty much all of those guys have have definitely seen their stock rise. Um, 
you know, Owen Power has had a bit of a weird season because of leaving for World Juniors, leaving for the Olympics. But you know, he's been a, a point per game defenseman. He's been over a point per game at, at times, and um, you know, his production cooled off right before he left. But you know, he's looked fine and, and looks every bit the first overall pick that he was. Um, Matty Beniers, I thought, was exceptional at the Olympics. He's having a tremendous season. I think he's really in Hobie Baker consideration, even though um, he's missed significant time this season for the World Juniors and the Olympics as well. Uh, but he really drives things for for Michigan in such a way that, you know, without him, I wonder what they would look like. And certainly they won without their Olympians the last couple of uh, last couple of weeks. They managed to, to still pull out wins. But I think when it comes to the postseason, that's really where Manny Beniers is going to shine. He just plays that style of hockey. Uh, Mason McTavish was number three. Uh, got nine games with the Ducks. I thought he very well could have stayed there. Um, looked great at the World Juniors before it was canceled. Didn't look as good at the at the Olympics. I didn't think he was as effective as I expected him to be. I thought he could be a driver for Canada, and he really wasn't. Um, you know, didn't play center either, so that was another thing. But certainly a guy that's worth keeping a close eye on, um, and I still think his stock is up. Uh, from his draft year. Luke Hughes, who I have, uh, when you go to Hockey Sense, if you're one of the subscribers, you'll be able to see in this week's newsletter that Luke Hughes is 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 having an exceptional season. He just set the freshman defenseman goal-scoring record that stood for, I believe, 45 years um, at uh, the University of Michigan. So pretty impressive there. They've had a lot of great defense. We think about, you know, recently Zach Wierenski, um, Jack Johnson, who was one of the best college hockey players that you could ever see, um, quite seriously. I mean, Jack Johnson, you know, say what you want to him about his NHL player, but holy smokes, he was one of the most special college hockey players that I've personally seen. Um, you know, and then also Quinn Hughes, you know, think about recent defensemen in the Michigan system. And Luke Hughes has scored a ton of goals. He's looked incredible. I think his stock is shooting up right now. Uh, Kent Johnson, we knew at the time he was a magician, still a magician, fifth overall. Simon Edmondson, I think he's looked like a guy. We got a question about him coming up later that I'll get to him more. But what an incredible season he's had. He's been a guy that's had a huge year-over-year -year improvement. And the way that he's played professionally this year, boy, I, I tell you, if, if maybe if Sweden had him on their roster, uh, they would have more seriously contended for gold uh, because I think he's that good. He's, he's, he's a tremendous player. Uh, William Eklund got a nine-game stint with the San Jose Sharks. I think a lot of his teammates are like, hey, this guy can stay. But the Sharks made the proper decision to let Eklund go back to Sweden and and get you know get his, get his feet back under him, make sure that he was going to be even more ready. It allows him to play top-line minutes and, and be, be you know, a play driver and, and things like that. Now, he's gone back, and his production is fine. It's, 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 you know, he's ahead of his pace from last season in terms of scoring. No goals yet for Jew Garden, 11 assists um, and 18 goals. He was really good at the World Juniors, just three assists, three assists in two games. But, you know, where's the goal scoring at? He scored 11 goals for Jew Garden last season. Um, hasn't done that so far this year. Didn't have any goals in his nine NHL games either and none at the World Juniors. So we'll wonder where the goal scoring is. But he is such a tremendous playmaker, a pass first guy. Not worried at all about William Eklund. Now, Brant Clark, very polarizing prospect in this last draft. I think there were some that thought he was exceptional, some that thought you know he, he was should have been above Luke Hughes. I never really bought into that, but let's take a look at what he's doing this season in the OHL. He did not make the, the Canadian World Junior team, but he's putting up points like it's nobody's business. 51 points in 41 games for the Barry Colts, uh, wearing a letter for them, and, and playing exceptional hockey at this point. I'm um, certainly impressed with what he's been able to do 
in his first season back after having to spend last year in Slovakia. Um, so his stock also up. Dylan Gunther, he's having a very productive season. He was only okay at the World Juniors. Didn't love it. You know, I don't think his stock has def- necessarily changed all that much. You know, I think he's he's a guy that I have a lot of time for, and and certainly a player that that I think is going to be an impactful prospect for for the Coyotes. He has 62 points in 41 games this year, so he has been dominant in the WHL once again. Um, no surprise there, as I said. Not as great at the World Juniors, but it's a short, what was it? Two games that we got of him, um, you know, and they didn't have great quality of competition, but he kind of was down the lineup a little bit for them. Uh, so you take that with a grain of salt, but I mean, 62 points in 41 games. Now, the interesting player is, you know, the the 10th overall pick, Tyler Boucher. And, and Tyler Boucher, I want to pause on him for a second because he started the season at Boston University. Um, you know, he had three points in 17 games, really wasn't going well. Moved over to the Ottawa 67s in the OHL, signed his contract with the Ottawa Senators. So it gave them a little bit of control. He's got one goal in four games so far with Ottawa. He did uh, deal with some injury issues, and certainly there have been stops and starts to the OHL season. Um, so I would say, you know, if if you followed the work and, and certainly followed the draft, you would know that most analysts did not have Tyler Boucher anywhere near a top 10 pick. And he has not played anywhere near a top 10 pick. Granted, we've only seen him for 21 games so far this season. So I think that Tyler Boucher has a lot of potential. I think he's going to be an NHL player if, if you know, he kind of has to get out of this malaise and has to shake off the pressure that he's under right now. Um, and going to Ottawa is kind of almost running to the spotlight a little bit. And I respect that in terms of not shying away from it and, and getting, you know, getting there and, and, and going full bore, um, you know, and interestingly enough, Boston University has been on an, an absolute tear since he left. I'm not saying that it's because he left. It's just coincidence. Um, probably that, you know, that they're, they've been on a tear, but I think, you know, if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, you see that, that, that top 10 pick and, and you kind of look at, at what else was on the board at the time. Um, I think there's certainly reason to be at least moderately concerned about, about that pick. And you think the guy that went one after him, the Coyotes forfeited their pick. The next pick off the board was Cole Sillinger, who has played all season, with the Columbus Blue Jackets as an 18-year-old. So he's got 16 points in 46 games, you know, not necessarily product producing at a high level, but gaining valuable experience and in and was a guy that I certainly had in that that same range of the draft. And so um, you know, I didn't want this to turn into a, you know, a Tyler Boucher be be down on him because really it's not his fault that he was picked in the 10th overall. Um and, and I think that so often we put so much pressure on those players when really I think it's the team that does that. And, I, you know, I, I that's always what I worry about is, like, when a player is picked so high above slot, and it wasn't just me saying this. This is NHL teams I'm talking to saying, hey, you know, yeah, I mean, like, he wasn't anywhere near that on our board. There are certainly some teams that had him as a first-rounder for sure, but I don't know if there was anybody that had him, you know, that high on their board. And it's not, you know, it's necessarily not Tyler Boucher's fault for being picked there. And, and now he's got to deal with the consequences of that, which includes a lot of undue pressure and stuff that, you know, a standard that he may not live up to. But we'll see. We'll find out. It's up to him to kind of take it from here. Uh, but that's the top 10 on that. So great question from John. Thanks for it. Uh, glad to be able to talk a little bit about the 2021 20, class and, and, and kind of get some get some thoughts on them and 
Um, you know, actually, also just wanted to point out there is a, one other player. Uh, you know, so this this is a, a unique draft class in that the number one overall pick, the number two overall pick, played zero games in the NHL. The number three pick lasted nine. The number seven pick lasted nine. Number twelve, Cole Sillinger. If you would have asked me if he was going to go straight from the USHL, um, you know, he played, he, he spent that part of the year in the USHL playing for. Uh, 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 playing in the playing for Sioux Falls gets picked and and I think Medicine Hat was fully expecting to have him back this year. Columbus decides to keep him and really he's he's made the most of that opportunity. He's played very well, um, but there is one other player that's played uh, more than nine games and that's Yanis Jerome Mosier from the Arizona Coyotes. He's appeared in twenty three games, already has eight points, and uh, that was a defenseman that. You know, was on the older side, played Swiss Professional League, so he's a little bit different, not your everyday draft prospect, but he's the only other player outside of Sillinger that has played, um, you know, more than nine games in this season. So only four guys from this draft class so far, but I do think that we'll see probably Owen Power at the end of the season playing for Buffalo, maybe Matty Beniers playing for Seattle, um, you know, in the, in the final weeks of the season, depending on what happens with them in Michigan and how deep they end up going into the postseason, as we do think that they could make a bit of a run all right next couple questions are going to deal with the world junior championship being rescheduled and we're going to start off with benjamin at the rescheduled wjc will the covid protocols be changed so a single positive test doesn't result in the entire team quarantining and possibly forfeit if not how is the IIHF planning to put on an event with zero covid cases or will this just be another cluster duck Thank you for editing yourself, Benjamin. I did not edit that. He actually said cluster duck, unless it was an autocorrect, in which case, hilarious. Anyway, Benjamin, we don't have a lot of details right now on what the World Juniors is going to be, but I have a hard time believing that they are going to hold the tournament if it is if if the if the protocols will be that stringent. Now, if you'll recall, last summer they had to reschedule the Women's World Championship. They put it in Calgary. They managed, you know, to have kind of a modified bubble. It wasn't a full bubble, um, you know, and, and and it worked. The other things that you know we we believe based on what we know is that you know the COVID shouldn't be as severe in the summer months. Um, you know, it shouldn't be as easily transmissible. All those different things that we 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 think we know. Um, of course, we always have to think about well, will there be another strand? Will there be something else that that comes along? We don't know that. Um, but I do think that the that the, the protocols will be adjusted, and I don't think that they would be able to hold the tournament if it was that touchy where one test knocks the whole team out. I think that's we, we will probably see something that moves much closer in the direction of what the NHL and, and other professional leagues are doing, where you know that individual would be isolated until they can test out. We just saw the Olympics go through that, where they were able to test out, individuals were able to test out. Um, so I do think that there is... You know, without multiple people quarantining. So I think that there will be some wiggle room on that. I can't see it going that way. Um, it's just too risky because if they have this tournament and they can't complete this, then you've made, lost even more money in the process. And I just don't see that happening. Um, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, everybody, COVID will be in, a lot more under control as well. And we won't have to worry about it quite as much. But as we found out so many times, you plan, God laughs, and COVID really laughs. So we'll see what happens. Uh, this next one comes from Fred, and I'll also include Jiggs's question as well because they're a little similar. But uh, your thoughts on the WJC, how many of the same kids will attend? And if a kid signs with the NHL, does he jeopardize getting injured? 
Also, with all, uh, this is a separate question from Fred, but all, all these puck touches in the air, what will this game be like in 20-plus years? More of a lacrosse-style hockey. I'm amazed at the kids' stick-on-puck skills lately. So just to quickly address that last one, if you haven't seen it yet, Brett Pesci's overtime game winner for the Carolina Hurricanes against the Philadelphia Flyers on Sun, on Monday, on President's Day, was incredible. Vince Trocek throws off a feather pass. Pesci knocks it out of the air. It basically sticks to his stick. And then he's able to to just let the puck drop, and then he rips a snapper right over the goaltender, Martin Jones. And it's an incredible play. And then you also see the things like Trevor Zegers, and you see the, the Michigan goal. Dylan Gunther, who we just mentioned, had a Michigan goal in the WHL this week, and it's now becoming passe. Um, you know, I think that, that we are going to see more and more creativity. If you saw, there was also a gift that was circulating on Twitter uh, from, from Sweden where uh, a player faked the Michigan, another player came in a give-and-go situation and wrapped it around the other side as the goalie was leading the wrong way. That's the kind of thing that I love seeing that play open up is when you can modify it like Trevor Zegers did against Buffalo or when you can have it where you fake it um, and, and try to get the defenseman guessing and different things. So um, I'm all for it. So I love the puck skills. Totally agree. I think that we're we're only scratching, you know, we're scratching the surface of what these players are going to come up with, the, the creativity of, of modern players off the charts. But also to, to combine Fred's question with Jiggs's question, uh, Jiggs asks, who has a chance to make the August WJC USA squad that wasn't there on the team in January? Are Jacob Perrault, Perot and Ryan Teverberg a possibility to make the switch for the WJC? So um, just to address the, the last part of Jiggs's question there, so uh, Jacob Perot and Ryan Teverberg were both in the mix to potentially, they're both dual citizens. Teverberg, there was uh, some rumblings that he was looking into his eligibility to play for Team USA. I was told later on he was not going to be eligible to play for the U.S. despite playing for UConn. Uh, you know, he had not been in the country long enough to qualify, even if he has the passport. Their double IHF rules wouldn't have been satisfied. Didn't matter because he got invited to Canada's uh, World Junior Camp anyway, and deservingly so. Uh, Perot, on the other hand, would have potentially been eligible to play for Team USA. He really wasn't in the mix. I think the process was a little too late. Um, But Perot actually, having played in the last couple of years um, in the U.S. uh, and, you know, having been with San Diego, um, I think that that is much, much more possible. He also was spent most of his childhood um, in the Chicago area, I believe. Um, so, you know, so that's another player where, yes, he could potentially make it. Um, but to, to combine these two questions, Fred asks, how many of the same kids will attend? And then, you know, Jigs asks, you know, how many guys who weren't there have a chance? Well, I think there will be some openings on the roster. I think particularly it's going to be really difficult for me to see Matty Beneers there. I'm sure that he would want to be there. He would want to play. But I also think that the, the, the likelihood of him going to the, the Seattle Kraken and then wanting to get ready for his season also for Seattle. I mean, quite frankly, I think Matty Beneers is the best player on the Seattle Kraken, um, you know, and could be as early as next season. Um, you know, and no disrespect to the guys that are on that team there. I just think that Beneers is going to be an impact player on day one. Um, and so uh, that's something that, that'll be interesting to see. Um, so, yes, so there's that. I think Jake Sanderson is another player that I would not anticipate being playing in the World Juniors. Um, you know, he he was at the Olympics. He got hurt at the Olympics. We'll see what that does to impact his college season. Don't know when he's going to be able to return yet to North Dakota as I record this. 
Um, but you know, he's on the shelf at the moment. So, you know, after going through all that, would he want to do that before his first NHL season? Cause we fully expect him to sign with Ottawa. Um, you know, so that's just for the U S and then on Canada, you think about Owen power, Kent Johnson, uh, Dylan Gunther, um, Cole Perfetti. I mean, really a good chunk of that team with the exception of, I mean, even Shane Wright, who, who would be drafted by then and conceivably signed and a team might want him to be a day one NHL or he certainly picked up his game. You know, I ranked him second. And ever since I did that, he has been on an absolute tear and good for him. I'm, you know, anybody, I, I actually got my buddy, Steve Coolius, uh, from Sirius XM radio, uh, uh, chirped me today about, he said, you know, he's been on fire since you ripped him. And, and like I'll say, ranking a player second overall is not ripping them. It's just thinking that somebody might be better and, you know, it's a midterm ranking. It can change. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, so I think that there's a good chance that those players like that, whatever team drafts them or signs them is not going to want them to do this. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think there could absolutely be openings. And as far as uh, for jigs, you know, some of the players that I think could be in the mix for Team USA, I mean, Tyler Boucher suddenly gets back in the mix. Um, you look at other guys, Dylan Peterson, who had a, a big goal for um uh for Boston University you know players like that that were in the mix but didn't make the final roster uh certainly could be there so you know there, there are players like that that you know you you suddenly have a second chance at, at making the team um you know Sean Barons and Thomas Bordalo who both had were in COVID protocol and weren't able to make the final roster those are two guys that I think USA would love to have on their team um, especially with the way they played. Barons has been absolutely outstanding for Denver. And I'll tell you what, Thomas Bortolo is one of the more exciting players to watch in college hockey. So, you know, that's what we're looking at. Players like that could absolutely get back into the mix. There will be spots available, we think. Uh, but we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We'll see what, what those teams do. So that wraps up most of the World Junior stuff. Again, if you ever have questions on that, you can always... Uh, hit me up on Twitter or through that hockey sense with CP at gmail.com email address. All right, now we're going to move to some college hockey talk. And this is college hockey talk that is relevant to NHL fans because we're going to talk about undrafted free agents. Now, if you know anything about the work that I've done going way back to the hockey sense blog, I've always been super into tracking the college free agents because sometimes you are going to find a gem. Um, you know, think Tyler Bozak, who was maligned while he was in Toronto, has had a pretty tremendous NHL career, undrafted free agent. Tory Krug, undrafted free agent. His senior year, or his final year at Michigan State, um, was one of the most dominant individual performances. I mean, he carried a team to a national tournament. It was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, so you look for things like that. But the first question comes from Cole, and it is, where is Ben Myers on your top undrafted free agents? Where is his best fit? I say bring him home to the Minnesota Wild. Of course you would, Cole. Everybody, if you're a Minnesota kid, wouldn't you want to go play for the Wild? It seems to be a thing that there, and, and certainly the Wild are, are always eager to sign those players. And I'll tell you what, Ben Myers is a phenomenal fit for the Minnesota Wild, um, and not because uh, he's from Minnesota. It's quite frankly because they need players on cheap contracts, and they need him soon. And I think that he would be a fit for the style that they play right now. I think he could be a middle six player long term. Maybe not next season, but middle six long term. 
Uh, like I think he 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 strikes me as the type of guy that would make a great third line center. Um, and I'm I'm excited to see where he goes. But I I think the reason that the Wild make a makes sense to me, Cole, is because they have those buyouts for for Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi next season. And those are going to hurt. They are going to hurt a lot because that's a lot of dead cap space um, as I pull up cap friendly right now. Because I think Bill Guerin made, buying those two players out, two guys that were, were signature signings of ownership, and buying them out at a dramatically uh, detrimental dead cap situation for the Wild. Um took so much guts and next season those two players will account for nearly 13 million dollars in cap space 12.7 million dollars of dead cap space dedicated to zach parisi and ryan Suter. that's a tough pill to swallow so that's why you say it's gutsy so you need players on entry-level contracts you're going to have matt boldy Thankfully, if you're the Minnesota Wild, probably going to have um, uh, Marco Rossi, you know, guys like Brandon Duhame and um, uh, Connor Dewar and, and Nico Sturm. And Sturm is actually a free agent, unrestricted free agent after the season. So you got to get him a new deal. Um, there's a lot of different players there where you, you've got to find ways to save money. College free agents is a phenomenal way to do that. And I think Ben Myers, with his speed, with the way that he plays, he plays the style of hockey that I think the Wild are playing right now. I mean, when was the last time you ever said the Minnesota Wild are so fun to watch? Because they are. They are fun to watch. It's not just Kaprizov. It's Boldy. It's you know, it's Kevin Fiala. When, when he's on his game, it's, he's impressive. Jordan Greenway. You know, Ryan Hartman, who plays such an abrasive style, but now scoring goals with reckless abandon. I mean, you know, that's, that's really exciting and thrilling to watch and so you look at what they have and you look at the need to sit to save money and it makes a lot of sense so ben myers as far as where he ranks on my undrafted free agents list he's number one um i think he's the guy that 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 could be the most impactful nhl player out of that group i think that he has proven it at every step of the way he's been you know he, he has the option to go back to school for another year if he wants to um, he just is coming back from the Olympics where I thought he was exceptional for Team USA. Loved the way that he played uh, for Team USA. I mean, watch him get in on the forecheck. Watch his speed. Watch the tenacity that he plays with. Um, and, and that all matters. And then you look, you know, he's not a big guy, but he's sturdy. He's strong. He's he's physical. Um, you know, he's having a career season at Minnesota this year. 29 points in 27 games. He actually came back from Beijing. Got off the plane. Got over to State College. Not an easy place to get to. Three assists in his first game back. I mean, this is a guy that you absolutely want to go to battle with. And I think, for me, he's the top undrafted free agent that I think will be um, highly sought after and deservedly so. And certainly, the Minnesota Wild should be a team that is, is aggressively pursuing a player like him because I think he could play as early as next season. Jake asks, besides the Olympians, what college free agents do you think teams will be lining up for? Also, how many college freshmen do you think sign after the season? Really good questions from Jake. I think in terms of other undrafted free agents, there's quite a few. And it's always interesting to see, you know, teams have uh, have contract limits and everything else. So you got to look and see. And uh, I'm not going to predict any landing spots. 
But guys that didn't play at the Olympics that I think will have a significant level of interest. Number one, uh, Brandon Scanlon, defenseman from the University of Nebraska Omaha, 29 points in 32 games this season. He's a six foot four, 214 pound defenseman from Hamilton, Ontario. Left shot, um, moves very well. This year, he's really taken his offensive game to another level. Defensively, he's adequate. He's physical. Um, you know, he 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 gets in. He's been a very impactful player for them for the last three years. I think there was interest in him last year. I think that interest only grows based on the way that he's played um, this year. You know, I think other guys, Ethan Frank, the nation's leading goal scorer, 23 goals this year, certainly going to get some interest uh, along the way. Taylor Ward, the leading scorer for Nebraska Omaha. Um, you know, he's, he's over a point per game for them. Certainly a guy that I think will, you know, he's one of the older players. So that's going to be, you know, kind of, you never, you never quite sure he's 23 years old. You, you, you wonder exactly, but he's got the size. He's, he's having a career year, been a leader offensively all season for, for UNO. Um, you know, a guy that I like a lot for, for a college free agency and a guy that I think will have his, his share of suitors, um, is Bobby Trevino from, uh, from UMass and you know here's a guy that has been in the shadow of 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 higher end NHL prospects and during his time there but when his team needed him most he he delivered on the biggest stage I mean he's a national champion and he's a he's an MVP um, he's a he's one of the you know was one of the best players in all of college hockey last season he won the Walter Brown award as the best New England uh, play, best player in New England last year first team all-american you know frozen four mvp as i mentioned and he's been on an absolute tear this season 38 points in 29 games while wearing the c for umass certainly could have turned pro after last season i think there were teams that were ready to sign him um you know is he gonna be a huge star in the league i don't think so but i think he's gonna make his way into a team he's undersized you know, but but he's skilled. He's gritty. He's tough. Um, he's 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 got some energy, and and he's having a career year after you know all the accolades he got last season. That's a guy that I definitely would be lining up for and saying, hey, we need to get this guy into our system. If he doesn't end up playing as a full time NHLer, um, he still is going to have an opportunity to be a, a very special player for them. So, uh, you know, and, and and a guy that helps your organization. So I think Bobby Trevino is the guy that uh, is one of the other guys that wasn't at the Olympics that I think really deserves a, a, a very long look. But there are plenty. There are lots of guys out there that I think are going to get uh, quite a bit of interest and, and teams are going to be ready to sign. And, um, you know, those are just a, a small few of the guys. Uh, you know, there are others like Jake Livingstone, who we talked about in, in a recent podcast. Um, you know, Zach Metza from, uh, from, from Quinnipiac and, and Nick Blankenberg from Michigan. I mean, there's going to be a lot of players that, that, that get, uh, interest Jackson Nelson from Minnesota as well. Um, a lot of guys out there that I think NHL teams are going to be taking a very long look at. All right. Keeping it with the college theme. The next question comes from Tim. How close was Logan Cooley to signing with Penn state? Great question, Tim. And there's actually a great story um, on Cooley's recruitment, particularly as it pertains to Penn State. Um, uh, over on statecollege.com, Ben Jones, who covers Penn State athletics and is often found at, at the Ice Arena, Pagula Ice Arena, um, covering the hockey team, does a fantastic job covering college athletics in general. Um, you know, basically wrote about, you know, how this was a bit of a gut punch to lose Logan Cooley, who's from Pittsburgh, 
Um, and, you know, certainly if you are Penn State, you hope you have a chance to land an in-state recruit. And really the best Pittsburgh player um, since Penn State was a, was a feasible destination for uh, higher-end recruits because you think back, there was a huge boom. JT Miller, John Gibson, Brandon Saad, uh, Vinny Trocek were all from that area. Um, and that was really before Penn State was like a viable option for, for top end players. And, you know, really at this point, Penn State, uh, to answer your question, Tim, you know, I, I think that they were they were absolutely one of the teams that was in the mix after Cooley uh, decided that he was not likely to go to Notre Dame. Um, and so they were in the mix. And I think that the thing that enticed Cooley, it, it was the possibility of being, you know, the, 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 the program's first real you know, real blue chip, high end, high, high end guy um, that, that picked the program and, and certainly the, the amenities and the, the closest to home and all those different things were, were there. But ultimately, Logan Cooley uh, is one of the top prospects in this draft class. Um, it would, you know, right now, Penn State has not had a track record of developing NHL talent. Um they, you know, it's a chicken and egg kind of situation there. They haven't necessarily gotten those players um, to, to even have a chance to really develop them. Um, and the guys that they have gotten that have been on the mix, you know, have not really lasted. You know, Casey Bailey was their first NHL player. Um, you know, I think he played about 13 or so NHL games between two organizations. Um, which is great. I mean, that's huge. Was huge for the program, especially early on. I think Evan Barrett will have an opportunity over time to uh, to to you know he'll probably play in the NHL at some point. He's currently in the Blackhawks system, uh, playing for the Rockford Ice Hogs. So, but when you don't have that, it's really difficult to compete. So as far as I can tell, and I think Penn State was in the mix, but I think it was not as seriously a contender as North Dakota and Minnesota. That was those were the two teams that I think really it came down to for Logan Cooley. Um, heard long ago that North Dakota was was in the mix and wanted to wanted to be, you know, in there and um, you know, I'm not I'm not privy to the final decision making process that, that Logan Cooley went through. Um, but ultimately he decided to go to Minnesota, which is a very rare thing for a player from out east to go to Minnesota to you know to to have that opportunity to play for the Gophers, um, you know Notre Dame actually was for a long time Notre Dame and Miami, um, you know were were two of the schools where you could see those those Pittsburgh kids going to, uh, Stephen Johns from Wampum, Pennsylvania going to uh, uh, Notre Dame and and being such a you know gung ho Notre Dame guy I'm sure uh, he's crushed to to learn that you know a guy from his own backyard is 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 not going to the Irish anymore but. Um, but yeah, but I think that, you know, as far as Penn State is concerned, they were, you know, to, to be in the mix at all for a player like Logan Cooley is a huge, a huge plus for the program. Um, but I, I do think that there was, you know, they were probably, a, if they were third, they were a distant third um, because North Dakota and, and Minnesota at this point have, you know, the tradition, the the track record, the, um, you know, the ability the, the also have a collection of high-end prospects already on their teams. Um, so that's the other thing that, that is tough to draw. So it's an interesting situation that Penn State is in because I think that they have every other advantage except tradition. They have a great building. They have, you know, a school that is is is, is a name brand school in the sports landscape, situated very in, in a in a hotbed of hockey players between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia near, you know, 
when when you're when you're in that region you have an opportunity to pull from various areas um you know and guy godowski has been the coach the whole time and they still haven't technically landed that that guy that changes the face of your program in a way that makes signals to everybody else that this is a place where you can come and, and develop and be you know a big time player um so that's going to be the the hump that they have to get over cooley would have been a a a, a program defining recruit had he gone there um but again those are the players that have so much more to lose because they have these NHL aspirations and potentially high draft status. And I think even Cooley, you know, at this point where you're going to school matters to coach it to teams that are drafting you knowing where you're going to go to develop matters. And I, and I'm not saying that choosing Penn state would have injured his draft stock, but it certainly doesn't, necessarily help it as much as going to a North Dakota or a Minnesota does. Um, and so, and there was, believe there was a time too, Tim, there was a time when Minnesota was considered a place where pro players didn't develop. And, you, you know, I, I think back to when the New York Islanders pulled Kyle Oposo out of Minnesota halfway through, you know, his freshman season. And they said, we, we don't think he's developing there. And that was a huge blow to that program, and it signaled to everybody else this is not a place that, that develops pro players, despite all the evidence to the contrary and the great history that they had. But but that was a rap that Don Lucia started to get towards the, t- the end of his tenure there, which was really interesting. So those are the types of things that happen. Uh, but Penn State, I think, as a program, will find a way to to get that player, um, but it's 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 not there yet. Um, so, uh, hopefully they'll, they could find a way. Um, this next one is also an NCAA recruiting question. It comes from Eric. I think it's a phenomenal question. Um, who has the best 2022, 23 NCAA recruiting classes for NHL talent and who has the best pl- classes coming in for NCAA success? Bonus question. What's the big difference between the two? To the surprise of no one, um, the Michigan Wolverines have the best class for NCAA talent in 2022-23. And one of the reasons for that is Adam Fantilli, who I think will probably be the number three pick in the, maybe could even be number two. Um, You, you never know, uh, depending on what the Matt Vay Michkov draft stock situation does because of his Russian contract. Adam Fantilli currently playing for the Chicago Steel, having a tremendous season. He played in the league last year. He led the playoffs and goals last season um, as a young guy. And now he's made the commitment to go to Michigan. That is a huge – he's going to play his draft season for the Wolverines. Huge, huge player for them to get. Um, that's another one like Owen Power who comes out of Ontario, chooses the college route early in his career, sticks with it, and as long as he ends up on campus at Michigan, that's going to be the best class for NHL talent. But it's not just him. It's also Frank Nazar who's going to be a top pick this year in the NHL draft. Uh, Rucker McGordy, who's a first-round pick. Seamus Casey, who is going to be a high pick in the draft. Uh, Gavin Brindley, who will be a 2023 draft prospect. So Michigan, once again, after probably losing a substantial amount of their current uh, current guys, um, they'll now uh, lose. Uh, they'll, they'll be able to replace them with yet another young class of, of elite players. But 
Um, I will say that Minnesota is awfully close, uh, you know, in terms of the, the quality of player. You know, BU should have a resurgent recruiting class next season. Same for Boston College. Is it necessarily, you know, the best? No, I don't know. But Michigan, I think Michigan and Minnesota, one of the teams that I think um, – uh, there are a couple teams that I think are interesting and built for college success. One of them, I think Harvard is going to have a really nice recruiting class. They have a Finnish goalie named Aku Koskinvo, who is going to be coming next year. Um, you know, they, they have some, some quality players in the mix that, that very well could, uh, could make an impact uh, in terms of, you know, not just this year, but staying, uh, staying for a few years. I think Denver, as I mentioned, you know, they, they have a, they have a, a, a highly, uh, imported freshman class coming in, you know, Lucas Olvestad and uh, Miko Matika and Samu Salmon and, um, you know, guys from, you know, Sweden and Finland that are going to be coming to play there. Um, they do have some, some really interesting other players. So I think they have guys that are going to be there for multiple years and that helps a lot. And, and the same with Minnesota, I think beyond Logan Cooley, who I think could be a one and done, you're bringing in Connor Kurth, who's having a tremendous season in the USHL. You got Luke Snuggerud, um, or Jimmy Snuggerud, who, uh, you know, is, is, um, a real interesting prospect in terms of, you know, he's a goal scorer. He's a guy that can make, uh, make a lot of plays. He's going to make you feel like you got a chance, uh, you know, to, to score some goals and, uh, you know, is, is a bit of a legacy into the program as well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's huge to get that. And, um, Ryan Chesley is a real quality defenseman, very well could be a first round draft pick. And I think he could be a two to three year player at Minnesota. So what it comes down to, the reason that we talk about the best for NHL success and the best for, for NCAA success, it all comes down to how long do you keep those players? You know, Michigan had the, the great fortune of keeping their, their, their elite players from last season, another year, um, and, and, and keeping essentially all of them. Uh, which is is not something that normally happens, and that allowed them to continue to be very competitive this year. I don't think you can win a national championship with great freshmen. I do think you can potentially win a national championship with with exceptional sophomores if they're of the the Owen Power and Manny Veneers variety. We're going to find out this year if it's possible or not. Um, but I think those are the teams, and as I mentioned, Harvard, Denver. You know, Minnesota, Minnesota Duluth is going to have a really solid class as well coming in this year uh, for the 2022-23. But I think when it comes to the NHL success, it's hard to argue with what Michigan has built over this year. And then just to add more like Nazar and McGrody. Uh, McGrody is another guy that flipped from Notre Dame to another school. Um, you know, and, and Seamus Casey, who I think is one of the, the outstanding skaters among defensemen in this draft. Um, that's going to be really tough, tough to beat. Another college hockey-related question. This one comes from Tom. Chris, do you think Jerry York will be back next year behind the bench at Boston College? Great question. I don't know. Um, you know, Jerry is certainly, uh, I mean, he's the greatest of all time, you know, in terms of wins. He has the passion. He has uh, tremendous ability to continue to build a culture. Um, he is 76 years old. Um, you know, in as contemporaries like Jack Parker have have retired and have moved on and have, have lived, uh, you know, lived in uh, lived on and just been just fine. Um, all I know is that I think whatever happens, I think Jerry York is going to be able to call his own shot. He's a hockey hall of famer. 
Um, he'll be able to tell Boston College when he feels like he's done. Um, and I think that he's, you know, he's. it's probably getting closer. But, you know, Jerry York is a passionate man. Um, I think he loves what he does. I think he cares about his players deeply. I think he cares about his program. And uh, it's going to be his call when it's his time to go. But certainly, you know, I think that the the time is coming. And Boston College has had a really tough year this year. Probably one of the worst of, of Jerry's career. Um, you know, the recruiting classes have not been as, uh, uh, you know, elite. But, I mean, let's just let's pump the brakes on that a little bit because let's recall – Matt Boldy and Alex Newhook were playing there not that long ago. And Spencer Knight, you know, the, that was last year. It seems, feels like forever ago, but that was last year that those guys were playing for that team and now into their NHL careers. So I think he'll have his his chance to, to call his own shot there. All right, this next one is semi-related. This one comes from the great John Morosi from MLB, MLB Network and NHL Network. And you probably saw him on... The All-American Prospects game and certainly the World Junior coverage as well. Always great to get JP uh, chiming in. He's got a question. Which current USHL head coaches or college hockey assistants are poised to be impact head coaches at top college programs by the end of this decade? Well, that's a great question from from John. And, uh, you know, as we talk about Jerry York, I think you look at who would the 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 individuals be that potentially could replace him down the line. I think one guy that would probably be towards the top of the list is, um, is Greg Brown, who, who was a longtime assistant at Boston college, ended up leaving to go join David Quinn with the, the New York Rangers. So he's an assistant coach with the Rangers for a few years. And now he's the head coach of the Dubuque fighting saints. And this is his first head coaching job. Um, and to go from an NHL bench to the Dubuque Fighting Saints and to have a team that you know, is a quality, quality team in the league and, and one of the top organizations in the USHL, you know, I think Greg Brown is, is kind of that natural, you know, maybe that, maybe he makes sense to go there. I think also, you know, there's, there, there would be the, the possibility that, uh, that, um, you know, Mike Cavanaugh from, from UConn would be in the mix there as well. But I think Greg Brown, if not at Boston College, I think somewhere would, would be happy to have him. He, you know, he's a great recruiter, had a had some great systems uh, when he was at Boston College and, you know, now has NHL experience on a bench and has uh, experience in the USHL with, with a quality team and, and certainly uh, getting a chance to get his uh, feet wet as a head coach. I think he's probably... You know, right towards the top of that list. I think Brock Shane is going to be on a, a high on a lot of lists for the work that he's been doing with the Chicago Steel after replacing Greg Moore a couple of years ago. The Steel end up losing more to the uh, um, to the to the Toronto Marlies and in the AHL, and then Shane comes in and, and replaces him, and now you know is is continuing that culture that has been built with the Chicago Steel and continues to be one of the top programs uh, in the USHL and certainly one that develops quality talent and, you know, has been a top team and, and has been a championship team. So I think that those are two names from the USHL in particular that would, would be high on the list, um, you know, to be guys that could potentially run programs down the line. Um, you know, there are a lot of great assistants out there as well. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, in terms of you know, who would, who would run, a top program. I mean, I think that that's, that's a great question. You know, I think Bill McCall at, at, uh, um, at, at Michigan, 
um, is a is a guy that you know has has had coaching experience at the USHL level. You look at the recruits they brought in. I mean, if if it's not at Michigan, I think there'd be a, a lot of names that that would be uh, a lot of, a lot of schools that would be interested in somebody like him. Um, you know, I think that there's there's a, a fascinating group of of people um, among among assistant coaches that that could take that next step. Um, and we've seen it work really successfully. You think about David Carl stepping in at DU after Jim Montgomery left and, and being a young assistant that becomes a head coach and it, you know, just seamlessly worked out. Steve Rollick at, at, at Ohio state um, goes from assistant coach to head coach and does a phenomenal job there. Um, so, you know, I think that those are, they're, they're, you know, Brett Larson at St. Cloud state now too. So, I mean, like there's, there's plenty out there. Um, that are interesting, but you know, I think the one that that, that really, really jumps out, um, you know, in terms of, of of guys that I think would would be ready to run a big time program. I think you know Brown coming from the USHL is probably the the, the first name that comes to mind. So great question from JP. Appreciate that one, bud, uh, and thanks for listening. Um, so, so now we've got some more general questions. Just to make sure I didn't skip anybody. Uh, these are more general or specific questions about prospects uh, for various teams. And we're going to start it off with PG. The topic is Oscar Lawson skills, what he needs to work on uh, and where he'll go next season. Discuss. And thanks. Not really a question, but I will answer it anyway. Um, I've talked about Olasson on this podcast before. I think that he is in a good spot having been in the junior ranks, you know, and now he's playing for Oshawa in the OHL, getting an opportunity to expand his offensive game. Now, with Oshawa, his numbers have not been as good as they were with Barry. He had 25 points in 22 games with Barry. Oshawa, not as good in terms of total overall points, but he does have 11 goals. So this is a guy that has 23 goals in his first foray into North American hockey. We knew he could be a goal scorer. I think sometimes he can get a little bit of tunnel vision. He's got good two-way value as well. I think that he's a fine player. Um, you know, what does he need to work on? I think hockey sense is still something that I have questions about in terms of his ability to make plays. I know he has the goal scoring sense. I know he can, uh, you know, it, you know, I think hand skills need to come a little bit. He's got a great shot, but you know, I'd like to see him be able to make some better moves, some more precision plays with the puck on his stick. So those are some of the things that you have to kind of think about with a player like Olawson. I think that next year, more than likely he ends up in the American hockey league playing for the Colorado Eagles. And, you know, given that, you know, but the other thing too that I will say is, um, does he make sense if Colorado is going to make moves at the deadline? Is he a guy that they could afford to get rid of? I don't think that he's the kind of prospect that's make or break, um, in terms of, you know, if he's not the kind of guy that I would call untouchable, um, you know, so that would be something to keep an eye on around the deadline is does he become available? And I'm not trying to report that he's available or anything like that. I'm just saying like, you know, 28th overall pick who's having a good season in the OHL. Um, and, you know, look good at early on in the World Juniors. That's a guy that, you know, maybe you can find expendable. Uh, Peter asks, does Edmondson look ready for the NHL next season? I think, you know, it, it always comes down to situation. And you look at the situation that he's in right now and the organization that he's playing for. And the Detroit Red Wings just had the greatest level of success transitioning Moritz Sider, after two two years after his draft, not ideal years because of the pandemic situation, but they control his his development 
and then they get him to the next level. Pretty impressive. Pretty pretty great that 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 worked out. I don't know why you would go away from that. I don't think that Simon Edmondson will be playing in the NHL next season. I think he could. I think he has the ability to. I don't know that it's necessarily the right call. And if he is able to come to camp and have a great camp and show the staff that he can contribute to a a team that should, not definitely will, but should be competing for a playoff spot next season. I believe they they, they will be. Um, is he going to be able to get the ice time necessary to make that make an impact there and also not impact his development? I personally don't think so. But let me see some more evidence here. Because this season he's been phenomenal. He's looked great defensively. He's been physical. He's been moving pucks extremely well. He has 13 points in 31 games. He looked great in the very early stages of the World Juniors before it got canceled. Um, you know, looked like a, an exceptional defenseman. I think he's got a, a very bright future. My projection on him has certainly shifted from the pre-draft to now. I think that the offensive game is starting to take off. He's doing more things that I wasn't necessarily sure he was going to be able to do at a, at a high enough level. Um, you know, his puck movement is solid. His his puck skills are solid, especially for somebody his size. And as I mentioned, you know, he's been laying uh, laying the physical game down as well. And so I think that you know, you look at him and Cider, um, you know, don't rush the timeline uh, because it's already worked once. And I, I think we might see Edmondson. Maybe he plays for Grand Rapids next year. Maybe he gets a chance. Maybe he stays with Ferlunda. Um, a lot of different options for him. But but I'm fascinated by the player, and I think he's going to be very good. Mickey asks, after seeing how well Valtteri Pustinen has played for the Wilkes-Barre team, do you think, on a bad Wilkes-Barre team, do you think he can challenge for a spot next year? And where does he project to play in his career? So Pustinen has been really interesting because in in the in the system, uh, in, in the Penguin system, the prospects have not necessarily uh, done all that well. Um, you know they don't have a lot. They don't have a lot of guys that 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 are are high end. They've you know lost a lot of first round draft picks. They've traded guys away, uh, but Pustinen has been a bright spot. Seventh round pick, 203rd overall in 2019. He was exceptional in Finland last season. 41 points in 51 games. The season before that, 40 points in 54 games. Ended up playing on Finland's world championship team last year. Goes to Wilkes-Barre this year, 30 points in 45 games. And that's his first time in North America at any at any level. Um, you know, he's he's been exceptional. So, you know, I think for him, he's a smaller guy. He's got some good good skills overall he's a good playmaker um this is not the type of guy that i view as as an impact player at the nhl level he's a guy that is is a role player he'll find a spot down the lineup he could provide secondary scoring um that's my personal opinion of kind of where he's at and you know you look at guys that put up big numbers and you have to respect it but you also have to understand that, that you know he's not a not an overly big guy um you know definitely the other factor is is the the penguins still feel like they're within their window um you know how do they how do they improve their roster? Does he ever become expendable at any point? But he's certainly a guy that has increased his value to the organization through this year. I don't necessarily know if he'll be an everyday guy next season. I think you might want to see him take another step in the AHL next year. He's probably the first call up for for them. But 
Um, I think that what they've done in, in allowing him to continue to, to play in the AHL, you know, he's going to be fine. I don't think he's going to be a high-end player for them, but I do think he's going to be a player, which uh, for a 203rd overall, if you find a player at 203rd overall, a guy that's going to play NHL games for you, uh, you're pretty darn happy. What can you tell me? This one comes from Chris, and my name's Chris. So, Chris, what can you tell me about Leo Loof? Uh, Leo Louvre, uh, who was drafted a few years ago by the Blues. We've heard a lot about our other prospects, but almost nothing about him. I saw him throw a big hit at the WJC before it was canceled. Think he'll be ready to transition after this year. He did throw a big hit at the World Juniors. He got suspended for it. And if the World Juniors resumes, I think that suspension is still in place. So he might not be able to play in that game. But uh, Leo Louvre is, uh, is a big physical defenseman. He's in your face. He is... Um, you know, he's, he's, he's not huge, he's 6'1", 179, he's, but he's, he's got good size to him. Uh, third round draft pick. And I like his mobility. I like that his in your face style. I like the fact that he gets physical. Um, you know, that, that game, he, he did get kicked out of that game and, and just the, the, the double IHF counts game misconduct says 20 minute penalties. So he ended up with 29 minutes and penalties, um, in the entire tournament over two games. So that's a lot. Um, but you know, I think that what we've seen from Louv is, uh, he's, he's one of the rare Swedes that's playing in Finland currently. Um, and that's, that's a pretty interesting thing. He's got two way capabilities. He, he's makes a good first pass. He's got some fluidity on the blue line where he's, you know, his feet are moving well and, um, he can open things up. So, you know, I think that he's, he projects pretty favorably as, as an NHL player, um, down the road. I don't think he's necessarily much more than a bottom pairing guy that, that gives you, you know, tough defensive minutes and, and, and plays matchups and, and gives you some physical, physical play. I don't think that, you know, he's, he's going to be a superstar by any means, but he's certainly a guy that, that, that has a chance and, you know, seeing him at the world junior summer showcase this last summer, that was really my first chance to just really get a good look at him live. Um, you know, he hadn't played in previous international, like major international events, double IHF events, because a lot of those ended up getting canceled uh, when he would have been able to do that. So, you know, you don't get to see him very much, but the, to see, I've seen him in the summer and seen how he performed. Um, you know, I think that he's a guy that's certainly on the rise and, and is living up at, at the very least to being taken in the third round. Uh, I think that does it for our very specific questions. Nope, sorry, I was wrong. Grandy asks, what are your thoughts on Sam Lipkin's season for the Chicago Steel? Looking forward to another year as a subscriber. Grandy, thank you so much for sub sub subscribing. Uh, we did just talk about the Chicago Steel with, with Brock Shea, but Sam Lipkin is another guy that is having a, a phenomenal year. Um, he's got 45 points in 39 games, 20, uh, 20 goals so far, um, and in what is essentially his first full-time season in the ushl he did play for chicago last year um also played for the new jersey rockets in the ncdc ended up playing in the playoffs so he does have a, you know a clark cup to his name as well um drafted in the seventh round 223rd overall by the arizona coyotes um and i think if you are looking at a guy like this and he's 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 due to head to quinnipiac um i think great draft plus one season for him Great draft plus. I mean, especially for a seventh round draft pick. And you know, Arizona is gonna have to have some of these guys hit these these late late round guys. And 223rd overall, it's really difficult for those guys to make it. But Lipkin's got size. Uh, you know, he's playing with good pace. He's he's playing smart. 
Um, he's he's one of the he's the captain of the team uh, in Chicago, and, and you know wearing wearing a letter this year. And you know overall, like I think anytime you see a guy that improves from year over year, um, you love to see it. You love to see what that that progression. Now for him, when he goes to Quinnipiac, he's gonna have to play a certain way. He's gonna have to get stronger and all those other things. But um, you know given his draft stock and we're going to see this more where players play that second year after a draft, you know, that draft plus one season in the USHL before going to college. We saw it with uh, Jack Dugan uh, a couple of years ago and he went to the Chicago steel and made a big impact. And we're seeing it this year with Jackson Blake playing for the Chicago steel, making a big impact at Carolina draft pick. And now we're seeing it with Lipkin and he'll be headed to Quinnipiac and being a, a top plus, you know, the way that he's played this year, I look, I think he's going to be a, uh, a top level, uh, you know, recruit and, and will help Quinnipiac quite a bit. All right. This gets into the more general questions and some of them we've had before. Some of them we haven't, I'm just going to try and, and rip through them here, but this one comes from Peter. How do you project if a player who is a center in juniors will be a center in the NHL? It's not easy. It's, it's difficult. I think the, the way that I personally do it, and this isn't necessarily the way that teams do it is, you know, the first thing that you're going to look at is the hockey sense. Does the player have the understanding of the position? Does he does he play all of the different ways that that you need to to, to play? Does he have a frame that's going to allow him to play those hard, you know, down low minutes? Those get you know being in the in the defensive zone and making plays, um, you know, defensively and 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 being able to handle the defensive capabilities. How much of a play driver is he? He's going to have the puck a lot. How does he distribute it? How does he, you know, how does he make plays? Um, you know, I think a lot of times when you look at higher end goal scoring centers, um, you know, they have to have all those other things. They can't just be the goal scorer, um, you know. And, and so I think that that's where, you know, sometimes those guys get moved to the wing because their shot tool is so important that they don't want them to have to worry about the other duties of being a center because that one thing that they do is so valuable. So I think versatility is another thing that it really comes in handy for me when I'm looking at whether a guy is going to be a center. Um, but, you know, you also look, there aren't a ton of, you know, guys that play center at the National Hockey League level that are 5'10 or, or, or shorter. Um, there's certainly exceptions to the rule, but there aren't a ton. So, you, you know, size matters in, in that position at times as well. Um, I don't necessarily care as much about faceoffs. It's an added bonus if that player is really good on draws. Um, you know, I look at a guy like Thomas Bordalo, who is not a big player, who doesn't have that size, but he's a tremendous faceoff man. He handles the defensive capabilities of his position well, and he's a play driving player. He's a playmaking center. He makes the guys around him better. So those are the types of things that I look for when I'm saying, okay, can this guy be a center at the next level? And you know, I look at guys like Tim Stutzla, and I, I, I still feel very strongly that he's a wing. William Eklund, I, I, you know, I think he can. I've seen more evidence this year that he can be a center, and I think that's one of the reasons why his goal scoring is down. But I, so I, I think if I want to maximize his offensive capabilities, I look at him more as a wing. Uh, but those are the different things that you have to kind of go through, and every team is different, and, and it ultimately comes down to the player and the coach and what they're most comfortable with. Next one comes from RT Scout. If you were a team exec, what would be more important to you during the draft? Addressing needs of your team or picking the best players available in each spot? Uh, we've talked about this before, and I think that, you know, it, to me, it's always you make your board for a reason and you pick the best players. If there is something that dramatically shifts in the draft in terms of, like, there's a run on goaltenders, there's a run on defensemen, um, 
and a player that you thought would be available later isn't going to be, and you really, really, really want that player, then go ahead and take them. But I, I think it, teams try not to deviate from the list because their scouts and their scouting directors and their assistant general managers and the general manager have all been in meetings all year long at various points of the season to make that list. And I think that as long as your reasoning and rationale is sound, you care about that more than best player or best the the positional need. Um, but if they if you can get it, it is certainly an added bonus. All right. This next one comes from Sport Crunch. Do any teams play regular strength with anything beyond traditional three forward and two defensemen? Um, I personally haven't seen it regularly. You know, obviously we see it on the power play. Um, actually, the the team that I've been covering for uh the, that i do color commentary for the the iowa heartlanders i uh, have a power play unit with five forwards on it um which is a lot of fun to watch and and fascinating to see how they all work together uh, but that's on the power play i think what you'll see though is there is a, a much larger emphasis on defensemen that can play that more forward style where they are getting up in the play more where they're they're playing with more skill where they're they're getting involved and they're not necessarily as defensively um, locked in or dialed in uh, as as maybe the some of the shutdown guys or the two-way defensemen on their team so you know there's a guy this year in the draft Lane Hudson who's doesn't have the prototypical size as a defenseman but I couldn't imagine him playing another position because he's around the puck so much and he gets so much ice time and so guys like that essentially work as a fourth forward out there for you. I mean, Eric Carlson so often was referred to as the fourth forward on the ice, a rover, if you will. Um, so I think that we are moving more in a direction where center and wing matters less. And I should have said that in my last thing is that, you know, the center isn't just the guy that takes the faceoffs anymore. Sometimes a wing is going to play the center position uh, defensively, but when he's at the other end of the ice, he's going to be in the he's going to be in the the wing. I mean, like it just changes based on systems and the way things are set up. So um, that's something that I think uh, you know is 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 going to be an ever evolving thing. I mean, we've heard a lot about positionless hockey, but I think there is still a need for players to have an understanding of how to play within their role, and uh, and whether that's as a defenseman or a forward, that role can be fluid. So. Something to, to keep an eye on, but I, I think that's a, an interesting thought exercise there from Sport Crunch. All right, the next one comes from Tyler. Tyler asks, what is the status of Gary Bettman's contract, and when will the NHL have a new commissioner? And who would be some candidates for the role? I apologize for the rapid fire, but I haven't seen anything about Barry, Gary Bettman's future as commission, and I believe his contract expires soon. Well, I would certainly direct anybody uh, to the to, for Gary Bettman stuff to to probably direct those more towards guys like Elliot Friedman, um, and Thirty Two Thoughts and things like that. But um, you know, I, I believe Tyler is correct. I think that Gary Bettman's contract is due up soon. However, I think Gary Bettman, like I said with Jerry York, Barry, Gary Bettman is more than likely going to be able to call his shot. He's been in the mix for for so long. He is. Uh, been good for the owners. I mean, whether you like it or not, his job is to work for the owners. He's been good for the owners. I think the the, the current media deals brought in a significant amount of money. Um, I think expansion and 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 certainly uh, moving into Vegas and Saint Seattle has has 
allowed for an influx of cash in the league. There are certain things beyond their control. There are obviously a lot of things that, that haven't been handled well. I think the way that they've dealt with the Blackhawks has been a little lackadaisical. Um, I think that certainly some of the things that the league has done in, on the discipline front and uh, and things like that have not gone great. But I, I do think that you know Gary Bettman is going to be the one that decides when he retires. Um, and then who would be the replacement? I mean, I think the natural name uh, should be Bill Daly. Uh, I think he's been a good deputy commissioner. He's certainly, um, you know, Gary Bettman's right-hand man, but at the same time, um, you know, I think that, that he's his own man as well and uh, has, has his own ideas that I'd be fascinated to see, you know, what, what his general uh, view would be. Um, beyond that, it's really tough to know. I mean, it's such a unique job and it's something that's so specific that you have to serve so many masters, uh, in this. And, you know, you're, you're also, also while being beholden to the court of public opinion and being the punching bag for the league, which Gary Bettman has played marvelously over the years, does not care. Um, and I have always found that to be one of the most endearing qualities of Gary Bettman. And believe me, I'm not a huge fan by any stretch of the imagination, but that guy could take a punch and, uh, and many he has, many he has, no question about it. Um, but yes, and and also one other thing that really bugs me about him is just some of the answers that he gives on on concussions and and you know the the various lawsuits and things that have come as a result of that, uh, often very glib and and off putting. Uh, but again, that's part of his job. Last question is a personal question. It comes from my broadcast partner, David Fine, over at the Iowa Heartlanders, who is a transplant to Iowa. Um, and as you may or may not know, I live in eastern Iowa. There, I live near Iowa City, and there is a small group of, of restaurants called Bluebird. It's a Bluebird Cafe and the Bluebird Diner. Um, and so David has asked me, what's your go-to omelet at Bluebird? I'll hang up and listen. Now, I love breakfast food. I'm going to let, this is my little personal soliloquy here. Um, I love breakfast food so much. Like, it is one of my favorite things. Um, and I love omelets. I'm a bacon omelet guy. Just bacon, no cheese. Um, the thing about Bluebird, though, is however they season their eggs is the, the best thing I've ever eaten. I think their eggs are the best eggs on the planet. They also have outstanding uh, pancakes, and there have been many places. Another favorite of mine, Angelo's in Ann Arbor. When I lived out there, shout out to Angelo's. Um, when I lived in Chicago as a kid, we used to always go to this place called the Omelet House. Um, so I, from a young age, uh, I've always loved breakfast food. So start your day with a great breakfast, David. Um, I like the bacon. Another one to try though is the Krakatoa, which has like all kinds of spiciness in it, um, and that'll really get you going in the morning and probably get you going to the bathroom in the afternoon. So uh, uh, yeah, but try that one out as well, David. So uh, thanks for listening, partner. It's been a lot of fun doing the games with you this year um, on Flow Hockey and on MC22. And uh, I got to say, broadcasting Iowa Heartlanders games has been one of the hi highlights of the, of the year. They've been a lot of fun to follow in the ECHL this season. Um, and David has been a great guy to work with and certainly a guy, a name to know, David Fine. I think he's going to be a a star in the broadcasting biz soon enough as, as we get many guys that move on from the ECHL to the AHL and then the AHL to the NHL. It's kind of works the same way as it does for players. And I hope it does work uh, down the road here for David, who works incredibly hard 
and does a great job. So, David, I know you weren't fishing for compliments there. You were probably actually looking for omelet uh, uh, advice, and I hope that you listened all the way to this because after an hour and a half, this episode is finally over, and it has been one year of uh, sharing my thoughts with all of you and sharing content on Hockey Sense. I cannot thank you all enough for listening this long to the podcast. The code word is 100. Um, I don't know why 100, because it's only one year. It hasn't been 100 days, but it's 100. That's the code word. If you made it to the end of the podcast, let me know on Twitter. I'll send a gift your way. It's all I have to offer. I'm really sorry. Also, my favorite question of today, I did say that uh, whoever asked the question, my favorite question of the day, I think the best question um, was actually from my pal Eric, who is a subscriber to Hockey Sense. Um, and Eric asked about the the best NHL recruiting class and the best actual NCAA recruiting class that'll help you. Um, that was a, a fun one to kind of dig into. And I even prepped for the podcast and did some research and looked at various recruiting classes uh, for that. So the great question there. Great questions from all of you, though. I cannot thank you enough for helping me create the content for this podcast. We'll be back next week. I hope to have a guest next week. Not sure exactly who that's going to be. Uh, that's what happens when you're independent. You start doing everything on your own and that's how it goes. But Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I certainly had a lot of fun putting it together. I love getting your questions and being able to interact with you. Uh, please do like, subscribe, um, leave a rating, leave a review, and subscribe to Hockey Sense on Substack. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. We'll see you next week.